$5 glasses. I have real glasses now. So this means now I can read this and see you as well. How about that? I'm taking up another offering because they were £300 for two pairs, but there we go. So here we go. <clears throat> Let me read you this. After he had sent the crowds away, Jesus went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there by himself. The boat had already gone some distance from the shore and was being smashed around by the waves since the wind was against it. At the very dead of night, he came towards them walking on the water. The disciples saw him walking on the sea and panicked. It's a ghost, they said, and they screamed in terror. But Jesus has once spoke to them. Cheer up, he said. It's me. Don't be frightened. If it's really you, master, said Peter in reply, give me the word to come to you on the water. Come along then, said Jesus. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Master, he yelled, rescue me. Jesus at once reached out his hand and caught him. A fine lot of faith you've got, he said. Why did you doubt? They got into the boat and the wind died down. The people in the boat worshipped him. You really are God's son, they said. I want you to use your imaginations for a while now. I want, to imagine, I want you to imagine that... Uh, your name is Alexander. Sorry, ladies. Alex yeah, I know, I know. But this is, this, is a, this is a Greek guy. Your name's Alexander, and you live in the third most important city in the Roman Empire, Antioch. <clears throat> You're a Greek, not a religious one. Never bought into all those deities who need to be appeased. But you've often wondered, who am I? Why am I here? And is there more? You've made friends with a, with a Dr. Lucas. And you often talk through some of these questions that you have with him. And he's a close friend of a Jew called Saul who comes from Tarsus. They claim to follow Jesus, a man crucified in Jerusalem a decade or more ago. They claim he is the Messiah foretold in the Jewish scriptures and he's actually risen from the dead. Lucas has just invited you to a dinner party. He's so excited. A special guest will be present. A man who walked with Jesus for three years. His name is Peter. Also known as the Big Fisherman. Your friend Lucas is compiling a history of Jesus because he wants his Gentile friends to know the whole story. And Lucas intends at this dinner party to ask Peter some questions. Perhaps I will also get some answers to my questions about life. The night comes. We're all packed in. The food is excellent. Peter's not worried about eating with Gentiles or enjoying our dainty dishes, stuffed mice, the delicacy of the night. Peter begins his story. Really, the story of Jesus. Wow. 
Wow, you're spellbound. Lucas interrupts. Peter, I know Matthew and John Mark have referred to this special incident, but I think there's more to tell. And I'm writing this stuff up. Now, I'm referring to the time you actually walked on water. Peter put his head down and replied, not one of my best days. (laughs) How come, says Alexander, it seems awesome to me. Peter said, we we had some busy days. The master had been teaching, so moved with compassion, scores healed, many delivered from demonic powers. He was clapped out, absolutely exhausted physically, emotionally, even spiritually. But he still managed to feed thousands from such meager supplies. He needed space, time to be with his father. So we sailed on our own across the lake, leaving him behind. A fierce storm brewed up, but we're used to that. But then something really scary, a figure. At first we thought it was a ghost. And then we recognized the master walking among the great waves. Lucas said, so you got out of the boat? Mm, Says Peter, not quite. I called to the master, if you call me, I'll come. (laughs) I can be quite impetuous, you know that. But not this time, I had faith. Remember, we had seen and experienced so much with the master We were still wrestling with our doubts as well as growing in faith. Lucas said to him, but you did it, Peter. You did it. You actually walked on the water like Jesus. Uh, Not for long. (laughs) Not for long. He called me for a moment. I was there on the waves. Then my faith just seemed to disappear. I thought I was a goner. The master lifted me up. I was so ashamed. I'd blown it again. But Peter said, Lucas, nobody else got out of the boat. That's gutsy, man. (laughs) But I still don't get it. Why should anyone in their right mind leave the safety of a boat in a storm? Well, Peter looked at him and said, well, It all goes back to when I first met the master. I was just a fisherman and he used my boat to preach from. God, I had a bad night fishing. I caught nothing. Then he told me to put my nets down again, but this time on the other side. I wouldn't have done it for anyone else. It was plain daft. But for Jesus, I did. And we caught the biggest catch ever. You see, Lucas, I learned early on that when Jesus said, do it, you did it. Lucas looked at him and said, I still don't get it, Peter. Why get out of the boat on a crazy night? And Peter looked at him and said, just Jesus, I guess. And that's what I want to speak on tonight. I want to speak on just Jesus. 
Alexander said, for me, that dinner party answered all my questions. I went home changed. How? <laughs> Just Jesus, I guess. Now I'm a fisher of men as well. You know, when we look at this character of Peter in the scriptures, I mean, we can't help but love him, can we? He's larger than life. And uh, he's always aware himself of his own shortcomings and on his sinfulness that time he met Jesus. Remember that fishing, that, that big net catch? What did he say to Jesus? Depart from me. You don't want anything to do with me. I'm a sinful man. This guy is a very honest, lovable character. And when these... Uh, um, when these when these guys wrote up, and uh, and and John Mark was Peter's biographer, yes, Mark's Gospel. He says that Peter Peter obeyed at once. There was no hesitation, no hesitation with Peter, and it was the same for those other disciples. They were in it for the long haul. There was no looking back. And as you go through the traditions of the early church and the writings that we have outside of the scriptures, all of them but John were brutally martyred. The word martyr actually is translated witness. You see, we've, we've reduced things to another level, haven't we? We talk about witnessing and being witnesses, but actually the word is martyr. And all these these guys, they they they... They settled it right at the beginning. And I think one of the things that's so sad today is that so many Christians and churches have settled for something, something far less than what we read here, the experience of these guys, because that sort of left everything, response to Jesus, has somehow evaporated today in the world that we live. A world, guys and girls, that demands compromise. A world that uh, says, no offence, don't, don't give us offence with this gospel. This, we don't mind you having your meetings and we don't mind you locking yourselves away and doing your thing, but we don't want any offence. Political correctness, safety first, no fanaticism or enthusiasm, please. Okay. Hey, that's coming. That's, that's, what the, that's what the world is preaching to the church. They're preaching more to us in these days than we're preaching to them. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? You just don't get that feel when you read the Gospels. I, I hope you just don't stick in the epistles. I hope you read regularly the Gospels. Soak yourself in Jesus and the apostles here. I want to tell you the story tonight of five young men, all American, real American boys, Christians, five guys, Ed, Pete, Jim, Roger and Nat. And they were followers of Jesus, just like Peter. And they were fishers of men and they felt a call on their lives actually to regions beyond, to, to reach a people that had never been reached by a white man before, any white person, let alone missionaries, that had tried to engage with this people were killed. 
This was, these were a murderous people. Cannibalistic tribe of Indians in Ecuador. A tribe known as the Orcas. And that means savages. That's what the word means in their language. And these guys felt that call. They came together from different backgrounds. They were all young men who were successful. Whatever they had taken up, they would have succeeded and they would have done well in life. And they spent three years preparing themselves. <clears throat> they learned the obscure language. A young orc, orca girl had been rescued and taken by this Christian family and she'd come to Christ. And they went and they learned the language from her. And then they began, they, 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 they got a camp within 15 minutes flight in a small aircraft um, um, owned by a guy called Nat Saint and he was part of that team and they began to, they began to uh, uh, fly lowly over this orca village, uh, lowered uh, a, a, a basket from a rope and they filled it with lots of goodies you remember these were stone age people so machetes and knives and all those sort of things they 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 and food and goodies they 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 they, they began to build in that way a relationship with these native people remember these are still stone age people they're savages and they are killers and then they relocated themselves to, to right next to where, uh, in this small plain, they could visit this Orca village. And after three years of preparation, on the 2nd of January, 1956, Jim Elliott and his friends, they fly in with supplies, take several times, this is just a, a two-seater a, 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 a two little aeroplane, they fly in with supplies and they land their plane on a river beach which is four miles from the Orca village. And it's amazing. It's amazing. God is obviously with them. And what happens is, what happens is that within a day or two, two people from the Orca village visit them. One's a young girl, another is a guy, and, and they, they, they seem to be doing so well. And they even take the guy up in the plane, and he flies over his own village. I mean, amazing, amazing experience. And then on the January the 8th, on the Sunday morning, about 12.30, early afternoon, Nat radios through to his wife and says, we see a party of Orca men, and they're coming to our camp. And at last, we're going to be able to meet with them. We're going to, be able to share with them the love of Jesus. And that was the last living contact that there ever was with these five guys. Let me tell you this, they had guns. Because the, when you read the true story, you find these guys weren't daft. These guys were sensible. They got guns, and as far as they understood, that if they fired their guns in the air, that would be enough to frighten off these savages. But it didn't. And they made, they made an agreement amongst themselves that if that is not enough to deter them being attacked, they will not turn their guns on anyone that has not been that has not heard the gospel of Jesus. And on that day, the 8th of January, 1956, those five men were speared to death. 
Ed McCulley's body was never, ever found. It washed down the river. And your nation reacted, obviously. What a loss. Our young men, what a waste of life. Life magazine carried the full story. It went worldwide. (laughs) And that wasn't the end. That was only the beginning because it doesn't finish there because within two years, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife and young daughter, as well as Rachel Saint, Nat's sister, moved to the Orca village and over several years, many are led to Jesus. Memorial services right across your nation took place. Thousands volunteered for mission fields and went to regions beyond because of their sacrificial, sacrificial endeavours. If you've not read Gates of, Through Gates of Splendour by Elizabeth Elliot, you need to do so. I read um, the other day that it is regarded in the 20th century as listed amongst the 10 most influential books on on evangelical Christians. I had the privilege of meeting Elizabeth Elliot quite some years ago now. And the church that I was leading in Biggin Hill was known as a church that was interested in missions. We served overseas where we could. We planted churches. So I got an invitation. Uh, A friend of mine who was um, uh, doing a a doctorate on missions, he headed up Mission Aviation, you know, so Nat Saint, that, I think that's who he was with. He was a he was an ex-pilot, and he invited me to go. And it was a it was it was about 30 people there. We met with her. We had lunch with her. Wow, was she one powerful lady? And you 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 go on Google and read about this lady. And particularly, she wrote a lot of great stuff for young women. Um, but she said something that really got me, because she talked on discipleship. Now I reckon I know a bit about discipleship. And I've reckon I've discipled several hundred in my time, and lots of them are leaders around the world today. John Evans was one of them. And so I thought I knew something about this subject. So I thought, well, hell, this is interesting. Wonder what she takes on it. She said this. It arrested me. She said, she said, in my days when I went, she said there was only thing, one thing they guaranteed you. They get you there, but nothing else. I thought, wow. <laughs> They get you there. There's no guarantee you're coming back. Wow. So why did these five young all-American boys, all gifted, all would have been great achievers, why did they throw their lives away to reach a tribe of murderous savages? Why? For several years, did two grieving women and a young daughter live with these savages and labor at, at writing an alphabet and translating the scriptures in the most challenging of conditions? Why does anybody do something like that? I guess if they were here tonight and we could ask them, what would they say? Just Jesus, I guess. Just Jesus. Real Christianity, folks, is not safe. (laughs) We're going to upset people with a radical gospel. 
there will be those who will lay their lives on the, the line. That's not something we choose. That's something that God uh, is responsible for. Uh, one of the ladies we have with us in Regions Beyond is a lady called Donna. And uh, she works into Burundi. And, uh, and I and Steve and others, we are concerned for her. We try and take responsibility for her. But she's in and out of this nation with this civil war. And, and we're, that, 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 you don't know what's going to happen. But if you asked her, Donna, why are you going back? She would say, just Jesus. Because she's, she's compelled All these uh, folks here, these five guys and others that we speak about, uh, like Peter, when they met Jesus, it was a decisive moment. And they would say to Jesus, we're yours. Tell us what you want us to do. Folks, <clears throat> I'm not one of these hands up for Jesus people. I'm sorry. He doesn't want my hand up. He wants my life. That's why evangelists that ask for their hands up and count the numbers and say that so many were saved, and I don't think that's what this is all about. I think this is about lives that are deeply surrendered, decisions that are made. There's the decisive moments of encounter which which grip you. Jim Elliot says this, I dare not stay at home while orcas perish. The well-filled homeland churches have the scriptures, Moses and the prophets, and a whole lot more. <clears throat> their condemnation is written on their bank books and in the dust on their Bible covers. <laughs> That's pretty strong stuff. But that's written by a guy who put his money where his mouth was. He was 29, by the way, when he died. Elizabeth wrote this a little bit later after the dust had settled. She said, it's a time for soul searching, a time for counting the possible cost. Was it the thrill of adventure that drew our husbands on? Now, you may not like this, folks. No, no. Their letters and journals make it abundantly clear that these men did not go out as some men go to shoot a lion or climb a mountain. Their compulsion was a different source. Wow. That, that, that gets a bit near the bone, doesn't it? Their letters and journals make it abundantly clear that these men did not go out as some men go out to shoot a lion or climb a mountain. It wasn't for trophies. Their compulsion was from a different source. Each had made a personal transaction with God, recognizing that he belonged to God, first of all by creation and secondly by redemption through the death of his son Jesus Christ. This double claim on his life settled once and for all the question of allegiance. Christ was to be obeyed 
And more than that, he would provide the power to obey God's command of going into the and preach the gospel to every creature. That was a categorical imperative. The question of personal safety was wholly irrelevant. Wow, that's an amazing statement. And that's our challenge today. That's our challenge in the 21st century. It's unlikely that any of us in this room will face the challenges that they did. But nevertheless, it is a possibility. They never knew that was going to be their destiny, but they were prepared for it. And that day when they encountered Jesus and their lives belonged to him, that was a done deal. And that's the sort of Christianity that I long to see. That's why I get fed up with some of the some of the gospel stuff. Have you made a decision for Jesus? You know, put your hand. It's, it's, it's. And that's, that's where we are now. We, we, we face a, a huge, huge challenge. And the fact is, folks, we know how to meet that challenge. What Trevor shared last night, we build the church to reach the world. We don't build the church for any other reason. We glorify Jesus in the church and we reach the world. If we're not reaching the world, we're not church. We're a club. We're an inward-looking group. It's nice. It's cozy. I like things being nice sometimes and cozy, but I'd sooner that with my wife. I don't want that in church. I'm serious. I think we've got to evaluate, reevaluate. We are serious about the challenge that God has given us, and I'm saying us, not you, because I'm I'm in this with you. We're we're in this together. If in this area, if we're serious to to tie up the dots of all the towns and what have you in this whole area, it's going to take something of robust Christianity to do it. We are not going to do it in the way that we have been. I wish we could. It would be a lot easier. But it takes blood. It takes blood. It takes sweat. It takes tears. So it's a time to reevaluate. I want you to think back of that first encounter that you had with Jesus. For some of you, it was a long time ago. I was 19. I'm 73 now. That first encounter with Jesus. what, what, What happened to you that day or that night? What happened? What did you do? With the grace that he gave you, you surrendered your life to Jesus, didn't you? That's what you did. Martin Luther is one of my heroes. There's lots of warts on Luther. He's a little bit like Peter. Martin Luther. one One of the verses from the Psalms that he often repeated to himself I am yours save me I am yours save me 
when he got into situations that he couldn't handle, when he, when he faced challenges that were way beyond him, when he faced the might of a corrupt Roman church. I am yours, save me. Because that first encounter with Jesus, it was a settled, done deal. I'm yours. And are you saved? You still need saving. We need saving every day. Salvation is ongoing. I've been saved. I'm being saved. And one day, I will be totally saved. And we need to, that, that's, we, we want to continue. We should be continuing. When you look back, and you probably think, what a wonderful time it was. I heard the gospel. Something happened in my heart. Like Wesley says, I, my heart was strangely warmed. And I believed, even I believed. And no, my sins were forgiven. And you went home from that meeting or wherever it was. And you knew it. It was all changed. Folks, is it like that still? Or have we settled for something less? That's our challenge today. Have I settled for something when once I had passion and once I had a radical, radical edge? I'm amazed at how many Christians beat themselves up. I don't find anywhere in God's word that God wants us to beat ourselves up. So many Christians dwell on past failures or past sins. Some Christians even get uptight about temptation. How stupid is that? We know we're going to be tempted. John Wesley was a very poor theologian. Great evangelist but, and great organizer. Poor theologian. He actually believed that you, you ceased from temptation as you got older and holier. And Wesley used to, interview, used to interview people on their on their on their deathbed. They didn't have a recording machine in those days. Probably today we'd do that, wouldn't we? Test them on the deathbed. Are you being tempted? Are you being sexually tempted? No, I'm trying to breathe for goodness' sake. <laughs> I mean, how stupid is that? Let me tell you something, young people. Temptation in whatever form it comes, it's not just for young people. The older you get, the stronger it is. Why? Because you're a bigger prize to the enemy. I remember Terry Virgo said to me once, he said, Ray, he said, the more we go on and the more we go on with God, there's an enemy. He said, when you're a young leader, the enemy's going to leave you alone because you don't count for very much. But once you move on, you've got a reputation, uh, you've got some success. He's going to come after you because you're one of those trophies he wants to hang up. So even tempted, hey, don't beat yourself up because you're tempted. Because expect that. We're going to be tempted. My goodness, what's at stake, folks? Luther used to say that devil himself used to visit his bedroom. And you know, you read the modern books on Luther and they say, ah, oh, that's, that's just medieval nonsense. No, it wasn't medieval nonsense. Think what was at stake. Folks, what's at stake here? Come on, let's think. Let's not think about our ministries. Let's think about what's at stake. We're talking about a whole area of people. This is, when I read about this suicide corridor, in this whole area, I thought, 
God, we need to do something about that. There's empty church buildings there. Why aren't we sending people out? That's the challenge that we have today. Don't dwell on past failures. What, 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 what happens when you do that? It neutralizes our faith. We're demoralized when we focus in on ourselves. And then we fail to do the works that Jesus has prepared for us even before the foundation of the world. There's works for us to do. Jim Elliott and his four friends fulfilled their lives, even though they were young when they died. They fulfilled the call on their lives. And naturally we might look at it and say, what a waste. Not to God. When they laid down their lives, they were his to do with as he wished. <laughs> That's true discipleship. I'm yours. Save me. Keep saving me. If anybody had cause to beat themselves up, the Apostle Paul did. We just think Paul, he visited churches. He'd put people in prison that went to those churches. He would visit the, he would visit the Judean church where Stephen's mother probably worshipped. And he'd put her son to death. What about him? He writes of it, doesn't he? But he says this, forgetting what lies behind. We've got to press on because we've got to lay hold of that for which God has laid hold of us. Every one of us in this room, and Trevor was saying, even at the bottom of the pile, every one of us, we've we got to press on. We've got a calling in God. We've got works prepared for us to do if we focus on ourselves and beat ourselves up we will never we will never achieve the potential that is in us it's always going to be with grace and by the power of the spirit but he is more willing to give that to us than we are often to receive it and we've got to wake up to this I mentioned Mexico for many years 27 years in actual fact I traveled out to Mexico sometimes uh, four times a year, sometimes staying a month at a time. Worked a lot with John Evans. Eventually we had 20-odd, 30 churches there, and then I handed that over, uh, over, over to Lee. That's how I come to know you guys, because obviously Lee's relationship with, with Steve Valentine, and that's in the purposes of God, how I came to meet Stephen Kay and become good friends with them, and so um, visit this church. I used to take teams out with me. The teams that I took with me, I, they were mainly leaders of churches. Um, I didn't take the, the, the boys, I took the men. And that, that, that opened up a, another level of ministry for them. And many of them are apostolic and prophetic today. But on one occasion, I was asked if I'd take a few young people. So I did. I took some young people with me. And I was asked if I would take um, a Spanish girl. She was 39 years of age. And I didn't know her. And to be honest... If I don't have chemistry in a team, I don't, want, I don't want people with me where there's no chemistry because a little leaven will always leaven the lump. And this girl was, she was a disaster. She was never happy. Um, she was morose. She was always depressed. And she just, the whole team, you know, went down the tubes because of, and I, and I got so frustrated. I know I, that you can't understand that. But I got very frustrated. And over one meal time, I said to her, what is it with you? 
She said, well, I promised God when I was 19 that I would save my virginity for my husband. And at 19, I blew it. And I can't forgive myself. I said, that is idolatry. You're worshipping yourself, not God. Now, you might think that's harsh. But that's true. I said, you've just wasted 20 years of your life. You should have been serving God. And you're messing up my team. Hey, and hey, I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, that's not kind, Raylo. Well, it was truth and it set her free. See, she can't forgive herself anyway. Only God can forgive. We need to understand that. I said to a lady, that's why he died on the cross. You you messed around for 20 years with what he did for you on that cross. And it changed the atmosphere of that trip. We've got to stop beating ourselves up. In fact, I think sometimes, I think someone said we don't want to let this go because we like counselling. We like attention. I don't find counselling in the Bible, I've got to be honest. I find discipleship, that's something very different. Discipleship is you accepting your responsibilities and getting on and living and then discipling others. And during that time, there may be the need for some special stuff to be done and and for God to come and supernaturally take control of some things. But basically, I don't find it all there. So we've got to re-evaluate a little. Here's a failure for you. Here's a failure. I like this one. His, his, name is, his name was David. Okay, that's a good name. He was a young Assemblies of God pastor from a place called Philipsburg. Anybody know where that is? Come on, tell me which state. No, it wasn't. It was Pennsylvania. Right, Philipsburg, Pennsylvania. A country boy describes himself as a country boy. Nice young fella. Loved his church. Nice people. Well, who wants not nice people? Nice people. Good minister. Set for life in this church he was. Worked hard. And at the end of every day, he would, uh, about 10 o'clock, he would watch his favourite television programmes. And uh, he'd do that for a couple of hours. And yeah, why not? He's worked hard. He's, he's pastoring these people. He's a good teacher. And one night... The Holy Spirit challenges him. And the Holy Spirit says to him this. Instead of watching the television for two hours, how about praying and seeking Jesus for two hours? And just let's see what might happen. And he took up the challenge. And one night he's praying and reading, and he's reading Life magazine. He's reading the story of some young men from New York, gang leaders, and they're going to be on trial for murder soon. And these young people were very involved in drugs, vice, and killings. It was gang warfare. And the Holy Spirit said to him, go and help them. He thought, this is crazy. All I want to be is a, 
This is mad. This cannot be God. You ever felt that? For some of you tonight, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you that years ago God said some things and you said, that's madness, no, no, that's not me. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you because you're special. He speaks to you because God wants you to do something. You don't have to be special. In fact, it's usually the special ones that don't do the best, to be honest. Holy Spirit said, go to New York and help them. Didn't have any money, wasn't paid very well, but the church agreed that they would take up an offering for what we call petrol and what you call gas. And he managed to get into the courtroom and it was pretty clear they were there. It was a pre-trial hearing to see whether there was a case to answer. And if any of you, you know what that, that is. They were being arrayed and the indictments were read. And, and, and it was pretty obvious that nobody was for these guys. And he went to the front of the court and he made a scene and he made a right fool of himself. And he was arrested. He was photographed. He was in the press. It was on the television. And he went home with his tail between his legs. His church were not happy because they got the publicity as well and it wasn't good publicity. And he just felt an absolute idiot and failure. So, right, no more of that. <laughs> Except the Holy Spirit said you to go back to New York. He resigned his pastorate. And he moved to New York. And the rest really is history. You know, I'm talking of David Wilkerson. I remember when I saw the film, The Cross on the Switchblade, and I read the book, I thought, God, oh God, how do you do this stuff? Although we got some stuff, it's Nicky Cruz there. Nicky Cruz was one of the gang leaders that came right through. Hey, these are all American people this evening. Okay? I... In preparation, I, I thought a lot about this. Um, one of the, all my illustrations to be made the Americans. And I was with David Brainard and um, all sorts of people, John and Betty Stan. There's so many heroes that you have in your nation who, who, who prepared to lay down their lives for Jesus. And I, I sat through the story, remember Pat Boone acted out the part of David Wilson. I encourage you to watch it. If you young people haven't seen it, then watch it. And I, I sat there, it's on YouTube. I was sitting there in my study watching this film and then it got to the place where the gangs came together. They came together in the chapel, but they came together not to worship, but to fight. And there's this wonderful scene where Pat Boone preaches the gospel. And I tell you what, it was hard-hitting gospel. No compromise. I mean, Sue came in and I'm bawling my eyes out. I'll tell you why. Because this wasn't scripted. He just preached it. And I thought, wow, the power of the gospel. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's the power of God to change people's lives. And the rest is history. And David, David Wilkerson was a... A fine man. He's radical man. He went on and Teen Challenge and all that sort of stuff. And then in his latter life, I think in Times Square, he had a big church. And you know, he may not agree with everything he said. There he is. He wasn't saying hands up for Jesus. 
This is what he said. God hates the lukewarm gospel of half-truths that is now spreading over the globe. The gospel says, this gospel says, just believe in Jesus and you'll be saved and there's nothing more to it. It ignores the whole counsel of God which speaks of repentance from past sins, of taking up your cross and of being conformed to the image of Christ by the refining work of the Holy Spirit. It is totally silent about the reality of hell and after death judgment. In our political correctness, in our not wanting to offend, we preach a half-baked gospel, so we get half-baked converts. <laughs> One of his biographers said this. He, he died at 79. He was in a car accident and died um, not, not so long ago. He says this. In our days of political correctness, it is perhaps much easier to water down God's word so as not to offend. But Wilkerson refused to give in to compromise. Near the end of his life, David Wilkerson said this, As I look back on more than 50 years of ministry, I recall innumerable tests, trials, and times of crushing pain. But through it all, the Lord has proven faithful, loving, and totally true to all his promises. I believe that for every one of us in this room and every Christian that's ever lived, God wants us one day to be able to look back and see the fruit of good works. We will give an account for works, folks. We may not have got saved by works, but we are saved for works. Did you, did you hear that? We are saved to do works. In fact, if we don't do works, I've got doubts as to whether we got saved at all. We've got a half-baked gospel. We're no works. We're saved. David, Wilkerson, these guys, they bore much fruit. Jesus said to the disciples, he'd say to us tonight, you didn't choose me. Randy, you didn't choose Jesus. You might have put your hand up at some meeting or other, but it had more to do with him than you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And what did he choose us for? To bear fruit, good fruit, fruit that will remain. So at the end of our days, whenever that may be, whether it's 90-odd years of age like Elizabeth Elliot or, you know, high 80s or whether it's 29 like Jim Elliott and those other guys that we hear hey well done good faithful servant See, it doesn't matter how clever we are or how clever we're not the call on our lives from Jesus and I, I can't think of anything better often the people joke about my golf hey that means nothing it means nothing I love playing golf. I love doing lots of other things. I love doing lots of sport that I used to do. I can't do anymore. That's not what life is all about. Life is all about serving Jesus. I love my family. I'm passionate about my wife. I love my kids. But life is all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's just Jesus at the end of the day. 
David Wilkson could have given up. He could have said, stuff that. <laughs> I am not getting it. Lord, I don't care. If you send a bunch of angels to get me, I am not going back to New York. No way. But he didn't. He swallowed his pride. He got before God and he went not knowing what was ahead. That's true Christianity. That's the sort of Christianity that God wants us as we look, as you look at the Bitterroot, as you look at uh, Drummond, as you look at these places. To, do you know what disappointed me today? No one from Missoula came out and said, Missoula, you need 20 churches in this place. I, th I thought, blimey, I'm not even a yank and I'm thinking that way. Come on, I mean it. How many people you got? 90,000 in this city? 70,000, all right, 70, I'm exaggerating, I know. But that's, that's what God wants us to, what, what, what did he call them, big hairy something or other? Yeah. Well, I'm big, well, little and hairy, I am. But I've got some big hairy dreams. No, he, David Wilkerson, pressed on. And a great work began. Why? Just Jesus, I guess. How many of us in the past, we felt the Holy Spirit speaks to us to do something and then we let our heads get into it? Do you know what? We can trust our guts far more than our brains at times because God doesn't speak to our brains. He touches us in our spirit. And it's when we let it get up in here, we we quench the spirit. We can, we, can, uh, we can trust what's inside because God's put his spirit inside. He wants to speak to us. Hey, I'm not, so, I'm not talking about works that, you, that, that the books are going to be written about. Probably nobody in this room, anybody's going to write books about. Well, they might write a book about Steve, but he's probably the only one. And it won't be a bestseller anyway, so there you go. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is this. Each one of us, yeah, Trevor, yeah. Each one of us, God wants to speak to us more than we are believing that he does. And then we respond. And then we think, wow, it works. Peter got out of the boat. I think Jesus gave him a bad time. I would have got in the boat and given the other lot a bad time. The other 11 who weren't getting out of that boat. But that's what Peter did. He got out of the boat. Yeah, he sank, but it didn't matter because Jesus was there. And if Jesus calls you, he'll look after you. Jesus won't going to let him sink and say, oh, Peter, you're no good. Oh, there you are. No faith. Let him sink. We'll find someone else. He didn't do that. He was Jesus' responsibility, and so are you. And when he speaks to you, I'm not talking about wacky stuff. I'm talking about stuff that lines up with God's word. When he speaks to you, launch out have a go and if you get it wrong and mess it it doesn't matter you've been obedient and he loves he gives the holy spirit to those who are obedient that's what it says in acts so folks we've faced these last couple of days a lot of a lot of a lot of challenges the holy spirit 
has spoken to us at times and we've we've quenched that spirit we've it's not for me past failures are you brooding over past failures tonight perhaps a broken marriage grief we live in days where there's as much divorce in the church as there is in the world there's probably more divorce in the church because in the world they don't get married much these days so i guess that's a statistic but are we a sin that you just can't seem to get the better of maybe you had an abortion when you were younger there's lots of young women around that deeply regret that they had an abortion well hey don't beat yourself up about it go to Jesus get it sorted and move on because there's time that we've got to redeem this weekend's been challenging how how's it how's this conference going to go down is it go down as wow great conference had some great times of worship speakers were okay Ray Lowe was a bit thin but there we go um I've heard that say before um okay but not a lot of context it's content okay or are you going to say there's a great work to be done and we've been challenged and we feel not rah 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 let's go for it but God with your with by your grace and by the power of your spirit we'll have a go we'll cast our bread on the water <coughs> and let's see what Jesus just might do so maybe by this time next year the bitter root we'll have a church we'll have a group there maybe Drummond may have a group there maybe further up maybe Hamilton may have a group there why not okay I'm going to stop what's the time I'm going to stop one of the things that's really encouraged me these last two days is this many of you have come to the front for prayer and it's been serious stuff and something's happened to you in the meetings some of you have said yeah 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 I'm going back yeah I'm going we're going to do some things we've changed our view we've changed our understanding of church yes I'm thrilled with that so tonight um, as we come to the end of this meeting um, I, I we want to pray for those who for my message you feel here I just want some prayer particularly for some of you who have beaten yourself up over things maybe maybe for years we want to release you from that tonight we want to pray for you for others that you feel are oh, like Peter I've blown it I I started with faith and then I just got fearful we want to pray for you that you will press on now it's okay anybody in that place yeah good good yeah good 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 well so we're not going to go home and have a beer and a sandwich just yet we're gonna we're gonna do some praying okay now we I I don't need minstrels to pray um, but I think it'd be good if we just come and we just sang a great song of praise to Jesus and I just want us to remain with that phrase in our heads just Jesus why are you doing this who's it all for what about your ministry just yes just Jesus why do you do that stupid thing Trevor 
buy a holiday home where you're supposed to relax and you need relaxation and you're working with about 12 churches up in that area. Why are you doing that, Trevor? Yeah. Rachel, why are you allowing him to do that? Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> They're well trained, aren't they? Okay, come on, let's stand. And John, lead us in something thoroughly biblical. Not that you haven't tonight. It's thoroughly biblical and, and uh, something about Jesus that we can go home with. Amen? Got it. Got it.